Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. It is a joy to be with you. I'm sorry my wife can't be with, uh, with us. Uh, she takes care of her mother, who is 98 and lives with us, and they have snow coming tomorrow, and so they're getting all ready for that. Do you know what that is? <laughs> it's white. It comes down from the sky, okay? And uh, anyway, it is, it is just a joy. This is my first time in Tucson, not first time in Arizona, uh, first time in Tucson. And when I woke up this morning, looked out the window, I didn't even think I was in another state. I thought I was at another planet or something, okay? You know, I just wait for some Martians to come over some of those hills and so forth. So anyway, it is just really is, it's just a joy to be with you. Hey, we're going to look at one verse here. And... Um, and I trust we will because I don't know how to run this clicker. I do have it turned on, and I'm going to hit it. There we go. I might have to ask you guys up there to help me out, okay, which is fine. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Say it with me. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Say it again. Turn to the person next to you and whisper to him. Go, be therefore followers of God as dear children. Now, I got to say, I'm, I'm a camp director, and I've been that for over 43 years. Most of my preaching is to teenagers. And as I shared with your staff, I get a little bit nervous when I get in front of all you old people. I do. I, again, I just remind me that you're nothing more than teenagers with wrinkles, and then I'm okay, all right? But this, there's nine words you can say it in six seconds. Your teens can text it in three seconds, okay? But they're nine words that can totally change our lives. Be. Be is an action word. Be being. Don't be satisfied not to be being. Don't think that everybody else should be, but you don't have to be. Be. Be praying. Be serving. Be studying. Be giving. Be present. Be. You know, if you're a B Christian, you don't even know how to spell the word apathy. I get asked a lot, how do you deal with apathetic teens? I said, I've never met one. They're very passionate about not caring, okay? B. A B Christian is always looking, Lord, how can I serve you? Whose life can I impact today? How can you use me? To make a difference in somebody's life for eternity. Be. Say the first two words with me. Ready? Be ye. Now, as you all know, ye is the plural form of you. And, um, of course, I had the privilege to actually work at the camp in North Carolina for 30 years. And that's in North Carolina. And then for 13 years, we moved up to New England. And I am now by, by uh, I, I can speak two languages, okay? And honestly, I know Southern and I know New England. We go to Bahaba, y'all, okay? So in North Carolina, in the South, the plural form of you is all y'all. Say it with me. 
all y'all. So if you say, good morning, how are you? In the South, they go, all y'all doing right, son? Okay, it's the same thing, but it's just a different language. You know when God asked Paul to write this verse? He put that in the plural on purpose. Because I don't care how old you are. I don't care your background, your, your giftedness. Doesn't matter how long you've been saved. This verse impacts every single one of us in this room. I live about an hour from where Dwight L. Moody was born. I had much of his ministry. Basically, I've been in the room where he passed away. I've seen his gravesite. And did you know they say that when he was in ministry, over one million people trusted Christ through his preaching? David Livingston was used by God to open up the heart of Africa. He sacrificed so much for that. Did you know that Dwight L. Moody and David Livingston are both dead? They'd be like 189 right now if they were alive. They're dead, but you're not. And therefore, God has something for you. He has someone for you to impact. Be ye, say the third word, therefore. I know your pastors taught you whenever you see a therefore, you always have to look back to see what it is. In Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, I mean, it's like a treasure chest, okay? You start digging around, unless you're a real little kid, and then it's like a toy box, and you find one toy and play with it, and you find some more. It never, ever ends. Chapter 1, verse 7, the forgiveness of sins. Chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, knowing that we're saved by the wonderful grace of God, and you can't work to earn it. It's just a free gift of God, being powered with his strength in chapter 3, and it goes on and on. And I wish we had time to go through all that, but it takes months to go through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. But basically, this is what Paul was saying. Now that you know you're saved, now that you know your sins are forgiven, now that your life has been eternally impacted by the grace of God, now that you know that God will give his spirit to empower you, I have something I want you to do. I want you to be a follower of God. Now the word followers, mamitis, uh, it's also translated imitators. And when you imitate something, you got to know it well. There's good imitations and bad imitations out there. Like for instance, the only soft drink I know that we're going to drink in heaven is Dr. Pepper, okay? That's, that's what I've been told. My wife says it tastes like carbonated prune juice. But anyway, and, and yet there's other imitations like Mr. Pibb. He's not even a doctor yet, okay? It doesn't make sense. But if you really want to be a good follower, a good imitator, that means you've got to study what you're imitating very, very closely. And if it's a person, you've got to know how they walk, how they talk, how they think. You actually will spend your entire life studying the object of that which you want to follow or imitate. So, um, I'm on a plane. And uh, I'm sitting there in Manchester, New Hampshire, waiting to fly probably to Detroit to go to somewhere to preach. And I had a yellow tablet out, and I'm doing what you saw up here. I, I couldn't draw this good, but I was drawing, had a tree and stuff. And, and I was sitting there and sitting there. And finally, I asked the flight attendant, I said, is there a problem why we haven't left yet? Because uh, I'm going to miss my connection. And she said, well, we do have a problem. We have a runaway. I said, what's that? A 15-year-old girl had run away from home. 
and the police caught her. She was there in the airport. The police were going to bring her onto the airplane. And then she said, when you get to Detroit, you're going to have to wait until the police come and take her off. So I looked ahead. There were two empty seats in front of me. But there was one next to me against the window. So I quick moved over. I said, Lord, have her sit by me. So this kid walks in. Oh, talk about an attitude. She looked at the first empty seat. The next one looked at me and plopped down right next to me. I said, hey, how you doing? Whatever. I said, okay, okay. <laughs> and then I pretended to ignore her. I did. And I did. I tried to draw what you see up here. I drew the tree, and then I put the little apples on there. And then very slowly, very methodically, I, I just started putting some call-outs like this. And as these call-outs came on, if you put to the next slide there, just had a bunch of them like hurt and unloved, lonely and fearful, things like unforgivable and depressed, angry, guilty, bitter, suicidal, yeah, just one at a time, real slow, you know, just one at a time. And after the longest time, she looked over, she goes, what's that? I said, it's a tree. I really did. She said, no, what is that? I said, I'm sorry, I don't know how to draw, but it is a tree. But then I asked her this, what does it look like to you? You know what she said? She said, it looks like me. And so here I am at camp. It's actually in the middle of winter. I'm doing some maintenance work. I get a phone call from some parents, actually a pastor. Says, Rand, we're on our way to camp. Our daughter is freaking out in rebellion. We know she loves camp and loves you, and maybe she'll listen to you because she won't listen to us. And so we hope you're there. So I quick got changed and went to my office. The mom was there, and I said, where's your daughter? She says, she won't talk to you. She's locked herself in the car. I said, would you have the keys? Oh, she said, I didn't think of that. So I took the keys. <laughs> I went down, hit it, and I still remember sitting down behind the steering wheel, and she looked over and goes, oh, brother. And, and everything you're looking at, I had on my computer by this time, on my laptop, and I gave it to her. I said, hey, I want you to see something I'm working on, okay? And then I asked her, what does it look like? She said the same exact thing the other girl said. She said, it looks like me. And then there was another girl who had tried to kill herself, tried to commit suicide three times. She was 17. And get this, after the third time, she ended up in a hospital. And some kids from a nearby church from their youth group went and visited her in the hospital and befriended her and invited her to church. And she came and she trusted Christ. Teens, you need to be reaching out to your hurting friends, okay? You bring them to church, they're going to hear about Jesus and they're going to get saved. And so because of the suicide attempts, they wanted me to deal with her, and I did. And, and when I asked her, what does this look like? She said the same thing. It looks like me. But you know what's a little bit sad about this? I'm preaching to folks who have been in church, some of you, many, many years. 20, 30 years. And you've been a Christian. And you've been faithful in church and you raise your kids for God and all. And yet still, we're sitting here this morning. And some of you are looking up here and go, but Rand, it, it looks like me. If this is the fruit in your life, 
and only you know that, okay, and those close to you, if you look at your life and you are lonely and unloved and fearful and depressed and angry, if this is the fruit in your life, then believe it or not, I already know something about something about your theology, okay? What do I mean? I already know what you believe about God. Next slide, please. Some of you believe that God doesn't love me. Oh, I know he loves like the good people that always do good things, but why would he love me? Or there's some in here that actually believe, you actually believe that like God loves somebody else in this church more than he loves you. Or maybe this, you really, really believe on the second one here that God would never forgive me. You say, but Rand, you don't know what I have done. In fact, nobody knows. There's no way, there's no way God would ever forgive me. Some of you believe that I'm all alone. Let's do a couple more here and that there's no reason to live and that God doesn't care. I just want to die and God's too busy to mess with me and God is literally a thousand miles away. That's right. There's church members right here that actually believe these, ready? These lies. Because Satan is not very creative. In fact, he's doing the same thing he did back in the Garden of Eden. Trying to get us to believe that God is not who he says he is. I'm telling you that this precious book teaches us everything we need to know about our wonderful God. And you want security in life and dispel all fear and anger. We need to get to know our God. But you stop and think about this. Why? Why do we think this way? Even after we've been coming to church and hearing great preaching, why? I remember Amber and I, we both struggled with this big time. Big time. I came from a very, very difficult home, very abusive home. I was one of those kids who would go to bed at night and hold the pillow tight against my head so I didn't hear mom scream while dad beat her. I, I honestly thought every kid in the world grew up this way, okay? So I grew up an angry, angry kid, very angry kid. Kind of went through life, and I trusted Christ when I was a young boy, and I wanted to know God. But, oh, my anger fights in school all the time, and I actually even got 75 demerits for beating up two guys at Bob Jones University. Okay, I was a mess. I still am a mess, but I was a mess. I was angry. So getting through college, I never, ever thought I was going to be a preacher. I was a plumber, and actually... Uh, I worked my way through school that way and had all my life figured out. I was going to Chile, South America, took six years of Spanish, and I'm going to go down there and be a plumber. I don't even have to raise like money to go to the mission field. I'll help a missionary with their music. I play guitar and trumpet. Had life all figured out. You know what? Because if I could do that, I could be like 6,000 miles away from my family and never have to see them again. That was my plan. But nothing opened up. I never even applied or tried to work in a place like the wilds. Because, you know, some of you understand this. When you come from a tough home, you feel like you're nothing, you know? You feel like you're worthless. And I did. I grew up that way. And, and I knew that God was a God of love. But he only loved you good people that go to church all the time. Why would he love me? I don't love me. 
So we went to work maintenance at the wilds and did a lot of plumbing there. And one thing led to another. They said, could you stay another year and fine? And then another year when we had our son, Josh. And then we had a little boy that died at birth. He's buried in a cemetery not far from the wilds in North Carolina. We're expecting our third. And I still remember when Amber came back from the doctor, she was crying there in the parking lot. And I said, what's wrong? She said, we're, we're going we're gonna to lose this one too. I tell you folks, I lost it. I really did. I got so angry with God. And I do, I remember walking up that dirt road and saying, come on God, I'm working like what, 15, 16 hours a day? Can I ever, can I not ever do anything to finally get you to love me? Why are you so angry with me? And when I got home, I plopped down in the chair, and I remember Amber sitting on the couch crying. I said, God's mad about something. You know what Amber said? She said, no, he's not. And then she said this. He doesn't care. He's a thousand miles away. Now, folks, I was blinded to my problem. I was. I was already made it through Bible college and still struggling with all this stuff. And I was so blinded, and I looked at Amber, and I said, "Hun." We don't know God. I wasn't even saying we weren't trusting Christ for our salvation. We, like some of you, only knew about God. But we didn't know him personally. Why would Amber think that? Some teenager had her. She was put into foster care. Adopted out of that. Her daddy died when she was seven. Amber's mom never got married again. Amber never had a dad. God is a thousand miles away. I live in an incredibly angry home where God is always mad. I'm not trying to throw guilt trips, but guys, dad, you know where your kids get their concept of God? From you. Now mom can add to this or she can take away from this. But because we don't somehow go to this book, we're headed for trouble. And honestly, we were a mess. And as you see in the next slide, a, a wrong and improper view of God produces bad fruit. So what do you do? You know what most of us do? We try to fix the fruit. We try to polish those apples and make everybody think that we're just doing fine and inside we're just torn apart. Or sometimes we even pick the fruit, you know, and hide it. But other fruit grows right back that's just as bad. And our problem is we almost become like behaviorists. We just try to fix the fruit and we don't deal with the root. So I went to our director, Ken Kyer, and I assumed he was going to fire me. I was a mess. I'm serious. I mean, I was scared my Amber was going to leave me. I was so angry. I remember when at home, one time I put my fist through the wall. Do, do you know how stupid that is? Especially if you hit the stud. But I missed the stud. <laughs> but it's really a foolish thing to do. I'm, I'm serious. You put your fist through the wall, guys, because you're angry. You know what you got to do? you got to patch that. And if you've ever worked with drywall mud, that's not very easy. And finally, when you get it really smooth, you have to paint it. 
But when you paint it, you find out that the paint had just kind of changed because of the sunlight. Now you got to paint the whole room. Then you got to paint the hallway. You got to paint the living room and get new furniture. You got to buy a new house and a new car because you put your fist through the roof. I'm telling you, such anger is a foolish, foolish thing. It really, really is. I wrote a book. There's a bunch of books on the table out in the lobby. It's called Turn Away Wrath. And now that you know me, you know this was a journey for me, okay? And so what Ken said is you need to get to know God. That's simple. I thought, okay, how can I do that? David. David was a mess too. But he had a heart after God. So I went to the book of Psalms. Now, I'm not really strong academically, and so I took a blank notebook in my Bible, and I wrote down, God is my, and put a blank. Sometimes I wrote this, my God is blank. And I just started in Psalm 1. Folks, it took me 18 months. Now, I'm not talking about five minutes. I was scared Amber was going to leave me. I was scared I was going to get fired. I was a mess. I got up extremely early and spent from 5.30 to 7.30 with God. Two hours a day, book of Psalms, God is my shepherd. I'd write the verse in a little paragraph, and God is my high tower. My God is strong. My God is patient Whoa. with me. And then I cry a little bit and write. I'm telling you, folks, I started to get to know who God really, really was, and it totally changed my life. I am not an angry man. I'm telling you, uh, when you come from a tough home, you don't show your emotions. You don't cry a lot. You don't laugh a lot. You just kind of hold it all in, yeah? After about six months, Amber says, man, you're different. I used to not cry. Now I get like choked up at supermarket openings. I mean, it's just so different. <laughs> but I want you to know, this is not the only tree I showed those kids. Look at this next one. Here's the other tree. Loving, unselfish, happy, joyful, content, secure, kind, peaceful, self-controlled, patient, respectful. And when I showed those kids and literally hundreds of others this one, you know what all three of those kids said? That's what I want to be. Hey, Dad, could you imagine your kids go off to Christian college? They're sitting in the dorm, and all of a sudden your son says, Oh, my dad, come on. He's got to be the most content, kind, patient person I know. Could you imagine, Mom? Your daughter going off to school, and a bunch of them are getting together. You get talking about mom and dad, and your daughter says, Oh, my mom, she is the happiest, most unselfish, loving person I know in the whole world. Where does this come from? It comes from your theology. It comes from what you believe about God. In other words, if we see in the next slide, you know what you actually believe? Look at this. That God loves me. Do you believe that? You've been singing it since you're like three. Sing it with me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me. He does love us. And he doesn't love you more when you're really, really good and less when you're really, really bad. He just loves us. Or how about this? God promises to forgive me. You see, but Rand, you don't know I did. I don't need to know. God knows. 
And if we confess, homologeo, if we say the same thing about our sin that God says, he is what? Faithful. And he's fair. He's just because he's already paid for it, okay? To forgive you. How about this? God is always there for me. I never have to be alone. And look at look what else God does for me. I have a purpose in life, some more. And God really does care. And God helps me. And he's in control of my life. And God wants the best for my life. Say that with me. God wants the best for my life. Where does this fruit come from? It comes from your knowledge of God. A right and a proper view of God produces good fruit. So don't waste your life trying to polish the fruit and fix the fruit. Grab your Bible and dig into the very Word of God. Get to know God. I'm telling you, it literally will change you regardless of how old you are. And the more and more you know about your God and how wonderful He is and how loving He is, the more and more that you will love him and want to spend time with him. Yeah. So look at our verse again. Be therefore imitators, followers of God. Say the last three words with me. As dear. It literally means as dearly loved children. Kids are cool. I work with teens. They say, do you have a favorite age? Not really. Junior high boys, 7th and 8th graders, I call them pre-people, you know, they're, they're kind of weird. Uh, but 2nd graders, oh, I really do believe that once you're out of 2nd grade, it's like downhill from that point on. And I mentioned that one time, and a teacher sent me some notes that some 2nd graders wrote to God. Dear God, I didn't think orange went well with purple till I saw the sunset you made on Tuesday. That was cool. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not have killed each other if they had their own rooms. That's what my mom did for me and my brother. <laughs> Dear God, I'll bet it's really hard to love everybody in the whole world. There's only four people in our family, and I'm having a hard time loving all of them. <laughs> Dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that, or was that an accident? <laughs> Dear God, I went to this wedding, and they kissed right in the church. Is that okay? Dear God, of all the people who work for you, I like Noah and David the best. Dear God, I think about you sometimes, even when I'm not praying. Dear God, thank you for my baby brother, but I think you got confused because what I prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> Why? Why is it that little kids can write notes like that to God? I'm going to tell you why, because we find it in the book of Hebrews. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he, what's the next word, is. Folks, he is everything the Bible says he is. He is loving and forgiving. He is wonderful. He is gracious. He is holy. He's a wonderful, wonderful God. And the more you know him, your life will radically change. Yeah. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Believe he is who he says he is. Don't believe these lies that we looked at earlier. And is a rewarder of them that make lots of money. It's a rewarder of them that go to church every Sunday but never pick up their Bible during the week. He is a rewarder of them that diligently see him. Spend your life getting to know God better. 
Yeah. Do it in your family devotions. Wives, text your husbands. Even you old people can learn how to do that, okay? Honey, what did you learn about God today? Did you know that would be a wonderful text for every husband in this room? Because then he has to get to know God that day. B. Ye, therefore, followers, imitators of God, as dearly loved children. You guys can be as close to God as you want to be. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I'm going to give an invitation, and I want the invitation to last for six months. I'm serious. In fact, don't bow your heads. Look at me. Six-month invitation. How about just take some time, take your Bible, sit down, go to the book of Psalms to start with, and get to know your God. And write something new that you learn about your God every day. But don't stop there. Once you get to know something about your God, grab your phone and text your kids and your grandkids. Hey, let me tell you what God taught me today. And maybe they will get excited about getting to know their God. Yeah. I'm telling you, folks, the greatest joy we have on this earth is that we get to know our God. Now, you can bow your head because I want to pray for you and then the pastor will come. Father, I just thank you. It's just, it's not crazy hard when we think about what we need to do to have a close and a vital and a meaningful relationship with you. But if we do like little kids and read our Bible and pray every day, we will grow, grow, grow. Father, there's some here that they've really struggled and actually believe the lie that you're not good or forgiving or loving or kind. And I pray that you would help them from this morning to show them that when they dig into your precious word and they read through the gospels and see how you reached out to people who are crippled and blind and how you love the unlovely. Father, I pray that they would get to know you in a way they've never known you before. And I know you can do this for all of us. We live in a crazy world, a wicked world. But yet you're a wonderful God and this world is so short compared to what we do get to have for eternity. So thank you. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of having your words so we get to know you better. And with your heads bowed, I, I have to ask this question. You might be here this morning, you say, Rand, I've been visiting this church and you were right. They sing like they mean it. They actually sing like they believe something. Well, they do. They believe the precious gospel that Jesus died, paid the penalty for our sin. Now, why did he die? Because he was perfect. He never sinned. We have, all of us have sinned. We fall short of God's glorious perfection there, you know. And so Jesus paid the penalty for our sin when he died on the cross, but he was buried. And it proved that death couldn't hold him because he never sinned. He rose from the grave, went to be with his father. He's coming back. 
So my question is, do you know him today? I have two questions. Christian, do you know him well? And if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, do you know him at all? 